Hello, welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand. Thanks for joining me. Today's sort of a chilled out episode, so if you're looking for the clinical stuff, tune in next week and I'll have some of that. Today, I'm talking with my friend and farmer, Marjorie Wildcraft. She got bit by a snake, and I figured that would be a fun story for the podcast. So I reached out to her and she said, sure, I'll come on and tell the story. Also, before I let you get into this episode, if you visit my store where I carry a line of professional-grade supplements, including triglyceride form of fish oil, my adaptogen formula, my sleep formula, my anxiety formula, my neurosynergy, which is an herbal nootropic with wild blueberry extract in there, all of that, I'm offering free shipping on everything. So if you order one bottle or 100 bottles, you can get free shipping till next Friday, which is September 2nd, and you don't need a coupon code. You can also schedule that 15-minute free call with myself back at the site. Here we go. Audrey Wildcraft, welcome to the show. Thanks, Evan. Snakes bites, they're not, they're not nearly as bad as you might think. <laughs> I know. Well, you read about poisonous snakes, especially if you're somebody who's going to go out into the wilderness. I know here in Kentucky we have several poisonous snakes. I've seen a couple in the wild. I haven't been too alarmed by them. When my wife and I lived down in Austin, she did see, I can't remember the name of it now. Maybe you can tell me, but it was the, what do they say, black and yellow kill a fellow? That was one of those. Coral snakes, yep. Those are in the region here, yeah. Yeah, she saw a coral snake, and she made sure to note the colors, so she knew for sure it was a coral snake and not the corn snake, I believe. Yep. And it ran away, so she she was fine. But in your case, and you can fill us in on the story, apparently you were in your... Were you in your tomatoes? Is that right? Yeah, you know, I have these this big patch of indeterminate beefsteak tomatoes, which were plants I didn't really want. And um, we did a cute little video on determinate and determinate tomatoes if you want to see a picture of the patch. But they were growing way more leaves than fruit. And um, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to check in here and see if there's anything in here. And I'm barefoot because I'm, I'm always a barefooter. And I'm plunging deep into this thing, and of course I can't see my feet. And I find this big, fat, six-inch beefsteak hanging in the shade. I mean, the biggest, most juiciest, juiciest, best tomato I've ever grown in my life. And I'm so excited, and I'm like, are there any more? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I go deeper into the patch, and then I'm like, bam, something just, wow, that felt like a, you know, it felt like a, like a cat's claw vine or something, and I reflectively pulled my foot back, right, because, you know, pain. And um, it, you know how, like, when you have a vine on your foot and it, it sort of just digs in deeper? And I thought, dang. And um, then I was like, well, but wait a minute, there's a problem. There are no cat's claw vines or nothing with barbs in my garden. Like, what could that have been? And it almost, it was more than a scorpion. You know, it was more, definitely more than a fire ant. It was almost kind of like an ice pick going into my foot. And I said, what the heck? So I look down, and I see the telltale, you know, the two puncture wounds, and then a little drop of blood, and all three of them made a little perfect equilateral triangle about a quarter inch on the side, and I said, oh, you know, I've been snake bit. So the first rule of snake bites when you get snake bit is to stay calm. And I didn't know these exact figures at the time, but I knew something like that, but according to the CDC, in the U.S., only about five people out of 8,000 venomous snake bites a year actually die from a venomous snake bite. And that's, of course, because they're usually getting treatment immediately, so don't dilly-dally and hear that number and think you're going to be fine. But it does add a whole level of calm. I mean, that's a pretty low percentage, right? 
So um, I I said, okay, I've been snake bit. So the next thing I did, which is what you should do, it's the second step, is I looked around to see if I could recognize the snake. And this is this is really important in your region. You should know what the hazards are in your region. Anybody, even if you're living in the city, I mean, there's hazards in the city, right? You you know, in the city, you know, there's certain neighborhoods you're not going to go into. That's a hazard, right? Well, you know, uh, what snakes live in your region? And even though I'm in the Southwest, I'm in Texas. In my little bioregion, we have a lot of sand at, in a post oak thicket type uh, bioregion. There are no rattlesnakes here, so I, I was pretty confident it wasn't a rattlesnake. We, the rattlesnakes really like rocky outcroppings, and they just no, I've never seen one here on the property. None of my neighbors have seen any in this region, so I was pretty sure it wasn't a rattler. Um, the other, I know that there are two other real venomous snakes in here, and, and that coral snake that you were talking about. So I looked around for that, but the the thing about the coral snake is is it's actually got a very small mouth, and even though its venom is very, 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 it could be very lethal, um, they rarely can actually bite humans that much because they have such small mouths, and they have to like either grab the end of your toe or get a finger or something like that. So based on the way the bite was on the top of my foot, I um, didn't think it was a coral snake, but I was looking around anyway, and I have to tell you, I was kind of relieved when I didn't see that red and yellow anywhere, right? So yeah. that I, that narrowed it down. Now we have a whole bunch of king snakes and corn snakes and stuff like that, and that's what I was hoping it was. But the the other one that it could be is a copperhead. And copperheads are are deeply venomous and um you know, but a lot again, a lot of people don't die from copperhead bites, although they they can kill you. There's there's several that, that people that die from a copperhead every year. So, um I was like, okay, I need to get the next thing. You don't want to spend a lot of time looking for the snakes. And ideally, like right now, go figure out what snakes are in your bioregion so that way you know and you can visually ID them. It's best to go with some kids to, uh, you know, a local nature center or something, right, your own or maybe some nieces or cousins have a fun day of it and learn a little bit about the snakes in your area, I mean, you know, and, and become more empowered from that. Anyway, I headed back to the house and... um I walk in the door, my husband, I said, he was, he was in the kitchen, I said, hon, I've been snake bit. And he goes, did you see the snake? Because he's going through the same sequence I went through in my mind, right? I said, no, I didn't see the snake. And he says, does it hurt? And I said, it's starting to. And he goes, and he went through the same, and he goes, well, it must be a copperhead. Because copperhead, we know that's the only bite that's really going to cause you any kind of pain out here. And... uh he knew I wasn't going to go to the hospital because right? <laughs> he had just been bitten three years ago and went to the hospital. It was this whole drama, and we were like, we we're going to avoid that. Plus, yeah, what? talk us through that. What happened? What what convinced you where you're like, uh, we don't want to do the hospital route? Well, again, I knew, I know I've used natural medicine for like, a, you know, when my, my 15 years ago I had um, a mastitis with my son, actually 17 years ago when I was nursing him. And we used uh, poulticing and and natural techniques, um, you know, herbal medicine to treat it. And throughout the years, um, any minor or even major uh, wounds or injuries or infections that come up, I use this herbal medicine. Now, I have a real good sense that if it's getting way out of hand, that we should go to the hospital. And I'm really glad the hospital is there. I really don't diss the medical system. But, um, you know, quite frankly... I'm pretty confident that I can treat this on my own. I've and 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 that's another thing, you know, get comfortable with your medicine. Don't don't try to treat a snake 
bite, a venomous snake bite, your first time ever trying herbal medicine, right? That's not good, you know. Try it on the smaller things, you know, and get get familiarity with it. But he knew I wasn't going to go to He just knew that I, that's not my style. He goes, well, what do you want me to start poulticing it with? And I'm going through my mind with all the materials, um, you know, like um, narrow, uh, plantain is a great poultice material, but ours is a real narrow-leaf plantain, and it's gotten kind of hot and dry. It, it wasn't a lot of quantity out there. I knew it would take forever to get it. Um, clay can be a good poulticing material. In this case, because I knew it was going to swell a lot, I, I wasn't didn't want to go there. And I'm thinking of what other things I had around. And then, you know, prickly pear actually is one of the best poultice materials everywhere. It grows all over the United States. And I said prickly pear, and I had um, had a patch of them out behind the cow shed. So he goes out to harvest some of that, and I said, "Hun, I'm going to take a shower, and I'm going to be laying down here in the living room when you get back. Now, technically, by the rules, you should lay down immediately, but this is Texas. I was dripping and sweaty. I'd been working outside, and there was no way that I was going to go into this experience that yucky, you know. So, Plus the cold water, I figured, would help to cut down the circulation and, you know, just generally slow things down, so... I took a shower and laid down, and the pain, you know, started coming on. And he he came back eventually with the prickly pear. But now he he's used other poultice material, but he's never used prickly pear before. He's seen me do it, but so he didn't know exactly all the stuff. And he's the kind of guy who's never going to ask for help or directions, right? So he starts messing around with the prickly pear, and you know, and when you're and, and the way the pain's starting to come on for me, and I'm watching him, and I'm like, I wonder if this is going to work. So he sort of skims off one side of it and crisscrosses it, and then he tries to just wrap it around my foot with some strips of cloth that we keep in the first aid kit. And I'm like, I wonder if this is going to work, you know, because it's not the way to do it. But I wasn't going to say anything. You know, somebody's helping you, you don't want to say anything. And uh, he looks at it, and I'm like, hon, um, that's not really making good contact. <laughs> so, there's a reason that we make a slurry out of the prickly pear material, and he's like, "Oh, okay, I get it." So, uh, and I and I was noticing that he was biting some of the thorns on the prickly, even though it's thornless. There's no such thing as really thornless. There's thorn. There's less thorns, right? So I said, "Hun, if you take two rocks, big fist-sized rocks, while the plant, the pad is on the plant, and you use both rocks to massage, you know, to rub on either side of those thorns." You can rub all the thorns off of the plant, off the pad, while it's on the plant, and that way you'll you'll get rid of all the thorns and not hurt yourself at all. And he's like, "Oh, that's how you do it." So he ran out to go get more, and then I asked my daughter if she would, um, because you know internally you want to be careful, if she would get me a clove of garlic. And she knows the routine in our family. If somebody's got a sore throat or or got some infection internally, you take a clove of garlic. You take the flat side of a, a knife and you press it down to smash the garlic. I guess the garlic press is the same thing. And then you mince it up into little, mince it up, mince it up, mince it up until you've kind of got a little garlic mush there. And uh, then she gave me a, a spoonful of that with a with a chaser of water because garlic is a, it's a strong medicine, right? So my husband comes back and basically he poultices up my foot and uh, what he figured out was good was you put my foot in a pillowcase and then pour that slurry on onto my foot and have it be encased in the slurry. And the, the two things about a poultice that most people get wrong, and they're the two kind of the golden pieces you need to know, and one is 
you really need to make a you need to poultice a much bigger area than you might think. So, for example, if you've got a little uh, bite or cut or wound that's about the size of a dime, then your poultice needs to really be like six or eight inches in diameter all around that area. So, you know, even though it's just the top of my foot that was bit, we wanted to encase my whole foot in basically a, a glove of poultice material. The other, the second thing, so the first thing is you need to make it big. And the second thing is you need to keep it on a long time. And for this experience, uh, I was basically going to have my foot poulticed continuously, pretty much continuously for the next two days. And we would change that poultice out about every eight hours. So he would make me a fresh one, get rid of the old stuff, clean it off, and put a new one on. So um, I started having pain, you know, and my husband's getting concerned, and we talked about it. And uh, actually, we laughed about it because, you know, he's like, how's the pain? I'm like, how the hell else can pain be? You know, like, it's painful, right? Just so we were joking around. But pain comes in waves, and we decided to come up with a scale because, you know, we'd heard paramedics go on a scale of 1 to 10. Um, We decided that, you know, a cut with a little bit of blood and maybe a strong fire ant bite would be a 1. And then on the precipice of passing out would be a 10. And at that point, it was kind of going in waves between a 3 and a 7. So that was the thing. I I went through a period where um, it really, I actually had this amazing experience during it. Um, I started to have a, a upset stomach and which is pretty common to, to, to vomit from, from this. And uh, so I said, Kimber, my daughter, I said, get me a, a big bowl. I said, I think, I think I'm going to need that. And she could look at me and know what I was talking about. She got a bowl and, you know, sure enough, I start, I start vomiting, but I had this really calm, presence come to me and um you know traditions would talk about it as being a higher self or a guardian angel or you know there's a lot of different um ways you can speak about it but um just it wasn't a vision and it wasn't really hearing anything it was just a, a knowing that that came to me and the knowing was your your body has to deal with this venom and it does not have any time to digest the stuff that you ate earlier, so we're going to get this out of here because we we need all the resources for, for, for working with what's going on in your system now. And so I was vomiting, and I, I hadn't realized unconsciously that I wasn't breathing very much, and, you know, when you're vomiting, you usually are not thinking about that. And this presence said, look, you know, breathe deeply. And so I was doing one of those deep breaths from root to crown type things, and I was astonished at how easily... You know, vomiting is never fun, but that was really good advice, and it was just it came up so much more um, effortlessly than I had. And you know, I mean, I, throughout our, all of our lives, we've had that experience. This is the easiest it had ever been. So we go through, uh, you know, and then you rest after that, and then it was about three rounds of vomiting before everything got got cleaned out, and um, then leg cramps unbelievable leg cramps and again I asked my daughter to get me some uh, Epsom salts in water which really helps usually it's low magnesium when you're having a major event like this body uses up a lot of calcium you can get all kinds of imbalances Uh, I soaked the other good foot in a bit of the Epsom salts while I'm dealing with this pain and that seemed to help 
she removed that after a while and then and then I just was in this intense pain right and um, I'm moving all over the floor and if you were to just look at me you'd say oh my god she's writhing in pain but again that that calm presence came to me and it said um, if you can accept what's going on here there will be many many changes in your life and really big changes and good changes but you're going to need to be flexible and so if you actually proactively stretch instead of wait for the pain to move your body, it'll be a lot easier. And so I thought, well, you know, I haven't been to yoga in a couple of weeks. Might as well just start stretching down here. So I started aggressively stretching my body. And it was amazing because all of a sudden that pain transformed from, you know, oh, my God, I've been bit by a snake and I'm going through all this pain to I'm just doing my familiar stretch. You know, the stretch you know when you're stretching out, right? That's kind of a familiar pain, right, when you're, just moving your muscles a little bit beyond their normal range. And it it went on for a half an hour to maybe, no, I'd say maybe about an hour. I'm, I'm not sure. Our time was not a thing for me right then, right? But I was just proactively stretching, and it completely transformed that experience of pain. I thought, well, that's this, this, whoever this thing is that's visiting me has given me some good advice here. <laughs> like, I'm, 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 this is good, right? And somewhere in there I also got a a knowing that um, the main reason people are so afraid of snake bites is that venom and that experience is or can be a profound uh, um, precursor to a lot of change in your life. And uh, people inherently don't like a lot of change, and that's why there's so much fear around snakes. I mean, they get such a bad rep and going all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? (laughs) So, so, um, yeah, so... We're we're doing all this, and, and, and meanwhile, my husband, you know, he's making note of the time and different things that are going on and, and asking me questions and just checking my coherence. And then he and my daughter actually, he started to realize, wow, maybe I really don't know as much about this. And we, we had created a video called Treating Infections Without Antibiotics that specifically addresses this case of snake bite. And um, he and my daughter went in the office, and they were watching it on my computer, and and uh, it, it it helped a lot, and he, that's partly how he figured out how better ways to do the poulticing and all that. So, <laughs> I, while I was in this experience, I was kind of laughing, like, "Oh wow, he does listen to directions sometimes." <laughs> like, <laughs> why did I have to go through this kind of an emergency to have that happen? But you know. So anyway, um, you know, then the the next phase was um, like I got the got got the knowing that. Um, there were other, you know, like everything in my colon had to go because we we couldn't spend energy processing that either. And so I was like, Dave, that's my husband, can you get me to the bathroom? You know, there's this, everything had turned liquid and it was almost projectile. It was just all coming out. I mean, everything, I, like I let go of everything. I was completely drained from everything in my stomach to colon. Everything was gone. And um, That's amazing that the body does that. It It really is. You have to purge everything. Now, I wanted you to elaborate on the poultice. What's the idea behind the poultice? What is that actually doing? Is that trying to draw the venom out, or, or, or what's the idea of, of the treatment there? Yeah, it's, I, you know, I, I don't know in scientific terms, but in, in, in layperson's term, it's, it, it's very cool. It was very soothing, and it, it is um, it's helping with inflammation and swelling, and it's keeping that down, and it, it must be drawing things out. I honestly don't know, but it works is what I do know, right? Yeah. So, um, 
before before this call, I was reading about snake bites, and I kept coming across activated charcoal. And I was reading all these stories about people who, which I stock activated charcoal all the time here. I was reading about people who were taking activated charcoal orally and also doing a charcoal poultice. And they were saying they they almost liked that as much or if not better than the herbs because they were kind of knowing that they were binding to the toxins, I guess, with the oral charcoal. So that's it's just amazing to to think. It sounds like basically what you're doing is just trying to support the body and the body kind of went into autopilot to handle this thing. Is that a safe I, I way to, to say it? Down. Yeah, and I've been astonished. So I wrote it up on the grownetwork.com blog and it's a two-part series about this whole experience. And what astonished me was the comments. I mean, we just have comment after comment after comment, and so many people had other alternative ways that they deal with snake bites. I'll tell you one thing that crossed my mind, but I forgot to ask my daughter for, and that's echinacea. It's really good to take echinacea internally to to help the immune system and, and to help the whole venomous process, but I forgot about it. And you know, Yeah. Um, you know, you, you you and I sitting on the couch watching a video about how to survive something, right? And then, and then when it's actually occurring, they're two different things. Right? Oh, I so. totally agree. Totally agree. Did other people say charcoal? Did you hear? Did you hear yeah, about that at all? There were comments about that, and there were also people commenting about. Um, apparently, some people use electrical shock for stimulation, and then there's a whole variety of other herbs that people had recommendations with. And quite frankly, I went with what I had used before and what I knew was abundant. I mean, I have prickly pear plants on hand because that's my medicine cabinet, right? I know I use that plant for a lot of different things. You know, to me, herbal medicine does not have to be big and complex. Really, just getting to know five different plants like garlic and prickly pear, um, you know, elderberry, cough syrup. I mean, there's just just a few of them that I use that are my go-tos, and um, they grow or I grow them, and... You know they're always around, so um, it's you know it's it's what you got on hand. I'm sure there's a lot of different ways to to deal with it. That that's just what my experience and what the resources I had on hand led. Yeah. Me. But so the, we were yeah we were we were what maybe an hour in at this point after uh, the bite. We're we're a couple of hours in because I asked my husband. I think it was like 7:45 in the evening when I got bit, and this is June 21st, so like the longest day of the year, and. It wasn't till way after dark that I ended up going to bed. So, and um, yeah, then my husband helped me get into bed. And really, by this time, after I had purged everything and done all that intense stretching, which would be called writhing around on the floor in pain, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know. Um, he, he put me to bed, and and um, I went to sleep. And it was really the pain was just a manageable kind of throb of some swelling on my foot. My foot felt so good encased in that prickly pear poultice. And, uh, you know, I just went to sleep, basically, and I woke up the next day, and my husband helped me change out the poultice. The next day, I just, you know, and there was no more vomiting or or diarrhea or anything like that. And I was just mostly slept most of the day, did a little bit of reading, hobbled around a little bit around the house, and, um, you know, we just kept changing the poultice and, and um, really, not, you know, just resting. Resting has got to be the universal cure for <laughs> everything, right? You know, just let the body do what it needs to do. And two days, so the second day in, we woke up and again, uh, I, I took the poultice off for a little while and the swelling was down significantly. The swelling actually never got up 
past my ankle anyway. It was mostly just my, my the top part of my foot. And I actually, um, you know, I said, ask my daughter to pull up the riding lawnmower so I could go drive around and do my farm chores. <laughs> so I was using the riding lawnmower as like a motorized vehicle to get around. But, um, And, uh, you know, again, we poulticed it for the rest of that day. Uh, I actually had dinner guests that night that I, I made dinner for. I was feeling well. I was feeling good, and the swelling was mostly down. Um yeah, and then by 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 Friday, which is uh, you know this thing happened on Tuesday night. By Friday, I was up walking around. There was a little bit of swelling. I had to wear shoes that are normally a little bigger from than I wear when I when I went into town for a meeting. But um, you know, I was mostly back up and at it. And to me, I, I I honestly did not think it was that big of a deal. To me, that was just what you do when you treat a snake bite. And then uh, I mentioned it to somebody. Oh, yeah, you know, I got bit by a copperhead. And they were like, what? <laughs> I'm like, really? You think that's a big deal? And it's been amazing to me that everybody has such a strong reaction to it. But it was just the medicine we use and how we do things. So, um, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. What would have happened, I mean, if you would have done nothing? I mean, when people do have more severe health implications from bites i mean is it your i can is it I, your heart is it your brain what happens well um i i saw my husband when he got bit and we are about an, a good you know driving like a bat out of hell 45 minutes for, to the nearest hospital and he got bit and i immediately pulsed him up he got bit on the hand and um there was really no swelling he was going into pain and but he wanted to go to the hospital that's his comfort zone and his belief system so we you know even though it's interesting even though with me we do all this other stuff for him that's his when he's in an emergency that's his what he wants to do right so i i'm i'm willing to honor that so we go there and i had poulticed it up and there was no swelling by the time we got to the hospital but of course, before we got into the hospital because I've, I've had other neighbors go in with a poultice on there and the, and the staff laugh at you and and say what's this you know so we took it off outside in the car, and I can tell you exactly what they do. They put him in a chair. Well, after they found out we had insurance and we could pay for all of it, they put him in a chair. They hook him up to every machine that they had, and they sat there and watched him. And then his arms started to swell. <laughs> and then they put a mark at where the swelling was at you know this time, and then they put a mark at where the swelling was. And they would just watch it swell. And I'm like, aren't you going to do anything for the swelling? They're like, no, no. We're, we're monitoring his heart and his blood pressure, and that it, I'm like, but but it's just swelling, and he's in pain. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll get him some morphine. But they weren't, you know, they didn't treat him with anything. Like, they just watched the swelling, and then their protocol was that when the swelling got so many inches up, and he was up to his elbow, then they said, okay, now we're going to give you antivenom. <laughs> like, what? You know, like, what? And then so then they give him these doses of antivenom, and they say, okay, well, we can't, we don't have the... Um, the uh, facilities to monitor you now that we've given you this antivenom, so we're going to ship you to another hospital. <laughs> so we get this is crazy drama. So we drive over to this other hospital. They go through that whole ritual of all the check-in and all the forms and everything. And this whole time, nobody's doing anything to treat him except for giving him the shots of antivenom and, that, and monitoring him, which is like, you know, look, you got swelling. Aren't you going to do something for the swelling, you know, cool or hot or whatever you do for swelling in the hospital? They, no, they they didn't. And he That's amazing. He he was okay within a few days, too, because the antivenom is effective. But um, 
it actually was quite a testament to the whole experience because after I got done with it, my husband said, "Hun, if I ever get snake bit, he said, I want you to treat me. I don't want to ever want to go to the hospital again. Because not only was it all that drama, but it was, um, I think, the total bill um, and the insurance paid for, for about half of it was $30,000. So, Gosh. <laughs> That's an expensive snake. It, one vial of Anavena for $4,000, and I think they gave him four of those, plus there's all this other stuff that went on. and So, he, I mean, it was really amazing to me. My husband goes, I'm never going to go to the hospital again. We get bit. So, so wow. that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, now, and people say, well, are you going to wear shoes again? My husband was like, hon, I'm going to get you some stainless steel boots you're going to wear out there. And I said, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, y'all want purple boots. No, I said, I'm not wearing shoes. You know, I've been out here for at least 13 years running barefoot, and it was my own stupidity that I was, you know, I, 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 you know, that I stepped on this snake. It probably flipped back over and bit me. Copperheads, I've seen copperheads around here. I've seen coral snakes around here. Copper, both copperhead and coral are very docile snakes, and they will not just come out after you. They're very docile. I've walked by them many times. And um, they go do their thing, I do my thing. And in this particular case, I stepped on one, and of course he's going to bite me. So uh, it was my own stupidity for, for, there's a general rule on a homestead, is don't put your hands and feet where you can't see them. And I was breaking my own rules. So, you know, and if I get bit by a copperhead once every decade, to me, that's pretty, that's okay. I can deal with that, you know? <laughs> yep. Now let me ask you this. I mean, let's just say that, you received more venom than you would have this time. Let's say it was an insane amount of venom that was transferred. Would that same poultice technique, would that be enough? Would you eventually need anti-venom? Like just in terms of the dose of the poison that you receive. I know sometimes if it's a smaller snake, you get less poison. If it's a bigger snake, if it's a different species, you get more venom. So, I mean, is, is there a certain threshold or a certain cutoff where you're like wow okay we do need the anti-venom like what would you need to look for what would have been the sign like okay this is too much we have to get the next level you know i i think i really did get a big dose of venom and there is and i don't know if this is true or not but the smaller snakes and the the story is is that they are actually the the first of all the level of lethality in or the the toxicity in the venom for baby snakes, for copperheads, is the same as the adults. And in this region, and I don't know if it's true or not, the story is is that actually the smaller ones are much more dangerous than the older ones because they inject all of their venom versus holding it back, whereas adults supposedly will hold some back as a warning bite. I don't know if that's true or not. I do know that I, I feel I did get a really big dose of venom because that fang was in there and then when I was shaking my foot it was still in there so I'm certain that I was getting a really good dosage of venom now where would I say the cutoff is um, you know I didn't feel at any time that I was too badly out of my own range of what I can handle I have been in instances where I felt like I was going to die uh, in not, not this event but in, in other events um, and we were on the way to the hospital. <laughs> so I don't know. I have wow. a sense of knowing when I'm going to, you know, and, and I communicate that. And I never, even though it's an unbelievable pain, and obviously, you know, 
puking and fluids going everywhere and all kind. It looks bad. I had a I had a sense of knowing my own strengths. Now here's another thing. I eat really healthy. I eat a really good diet. I only eat whole foods. I don't eat any junk food. I'm very conscious about that. I my my immune system is very strong, and I'm very confident in my own immune system. There's a lot of people I would not say that they should do this because their immune systems are so compromised from antibiotics and from processed foods and whatever. So that's you know another thing going into it. I know my own body and I know my my own strengths. That's great. That's a good point. What what happened? Now this is of course I had to ask this question. When you say you thought you were dying, what? When was that? Was that farm oh. stories as well? Oh my gosh, that's a whole other story we'll have to go into, Evan. It was I. I was uh, yeah, I was doing some experimenting with um, uh, a cleanse for for. Um, anyway, it's a whole other story, and it it went the wrong way. <laughs> oh my gosh, what were you doing? Like a like a heavy detox reaction, or, or what yeah, made you think you yeah, were dying? Yeah, and by the time I got to the, um, it was one of those where you. Uh, do apple apples and apple juice for a couple of days, and then you take olive oil and and lemon at the end of it to to clean. Yep. And um, I had just done that. It, it was, but there was a whole other bunch of other stuff going on. But basically, when you go into the emergency room in in a big Austin hospital, and the triage nurse runs you into the back because you're completely yellow or something, you know. But on the way, I was like, oh my god, I I I, you know, the toxicity level was. So high, you messed up, and I was blacking out, and I knew I had really done something bad, and um, and I I I felt very close to death at that point in time, but you know we were well on the way to the hospital. My husband, you know, we had you know we were like, hon, I think I've gone over the edge on this one. Get me somewhere, <laughs> you know. <laughs> wow, I've heard. I'm, I'm Marjorie. I'm glad that you talked about that because I've heard of people, and I've actually had emails of people asking about that. Hey, should I do this whole apple juice olive oil thing? Did that end up just causing a massive um, gallbladder, like a gallstone to come out? Or I, what was I, the actual diagnosis? You know, we never, I never told the hospital about the, the cleanse part. And um, they, 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 apparently it was just a massive detox that happened very, very quickly. And they never could figure out what happened. And within just a few hours, I realized everything stabilized and I turned to normal color and blood pressure and they couldn't find anything wrong with me. And they ran a bunch of tests and they couldn't find anything and right. so they released me, but and I never told them what I had been doing because I wasn't going to go there, right? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which, you know, it was interesting though on that particular case. It's a family thing. Our family, we homeschool, we live together, we work together, we're very tight. And it turned out my whole family that same week, everybody got some kind of almost really, really bad sickness where everybody was vomiting for one reason or another. And I had, I had done a lot of purging on that one, too. And so it was interesting how it, these, things, these things can sometimes happen as a, as a group. So anyway, they weren't fasting or cleansing, but, but it, it, I found that really fascinating how it affected. It, it, it was like a, not, not necessarily I affected them, but that for all of us, that was what was up that week. So... Wow, that's intense. So you're good now. How's your foot? Is it is it oh, healed I, up or? Oh, completely. Yeah, you know, completely healed up. And um, uh, I, as I, you know, within a week, you would have never known anything had happened. And really, you know, by as I said, by that Friday, which is what three days later, I was walking around and doing stuff and just fine. 
So um, it, it's that's really a, a that's a great story. I love stories. It really just makes you forget about time. I mean, that's intense. And when you're in there, I'm sure time didn't exist to you at all. Not not really. You know, I was watching the every now and then the daylight in the through the window, which is how I tell time a lot of the time anyway. Is where's the sun? Or how long has it been dark, right? <laughs> right. So, that still worked. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Wow. So tell tell people a little bit about your, your farm, your homestead. I want to finish out just talking about food for a few minutes. Just because sure. you invited my wife and I out to your place. Let's see. The way time flies, I guess that was probably two or three years ago when we still lived down there. Maybe it might have been 2014 or so. And... That was when you were kind of doing some experimentation with some some aquaculture with some fish and things like that. And you had, I don't know, you probably had 50 or 60 chickens. I think you said since then you switched to ducks. So a lot of cool experimentation. How many acres did you say you have? I couldn't remember. Well, we have 75, but to be honest with you, really, you know, just a backyard is plenty of place to grow food. And really, we only actively, intensively use about two acres. Two acres will completely wear you out. I mean, really. That's two acres. Of, it really is a lot of land. Um, and what you were saying when you came out is I'm very passionate that the, the commercial food supply is toxic. And, and we, we did an experiment of where we tried to centralize all the food supply. And it doesn't work. Right? They just can't create quality food. So really, we have to go back to a local sustainable food network, and that can't just be done with local organic farmers. It has to involve participation by backyard producers, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But so I'm, I, uh, we developed a, a technique for growing half of your own food in your backyard in less than an hour a day. And I mean, really, like I count calories and hours and times and minutes, and you can grow half your own food in your backyard in less than an hour a day. And that's one system we developed with chickens and rabbits and, and a small garden. And I said, well, you know, I really, I mean, an hour a day, come on, half your own food, that is significant, right? So I wanted to develop other systems that would achieve that same goal. So our farm, our homestead, actually is a research center where I have the equivalent of about seven different backyards, right? <laughs> I'm trying to manage all these different processes and one of them is aquaponics i mean aquaponics is out there and it's the rage and people are all talking about it and we're like well what's the truth right because there's a ton of hype so we have an aquaponics system we're working with and then we also have um, some food forest area small food forest like how many calories can we generate from that and different types of gardening styles you know the biointensive gardening or straw bale gardening or different you know um and then edible landscaping, how much can you do with just planting things, edible landscaping, and different type of livestock, chickens versus ducks versus rabbits versus geese uh, versus pigeons or even, you know, gerbils or hamsters. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Right? So <laughs> um, just what it is, what ways can we generate locally grown food in our backyards or if you're living in an apartment, what kind of things can you do there? So we have to get back to that. The the nutrient density is gone, the freshness, the flavor, um, you know, our health, the, the, our collectively, we are deteriorating very, very rapidly. What are these astronomical rates of cancer, diabetes, and all these other, these are lifestyle diseases that can, can be completely turned around, you know? Agreed. What's been the most 
productive or most successful type of farming? Because I've looked into like the straw bale like for this year because my wife and I were renting a property now. So I just did some some raised beds, actually like these fabric, these giant fabric containers. That's what I ended up doing. And it's worked out really good. But I looked into like the, the straw bale. I looked into like the postage stamp gardening, you know, doing some raised beds, stuff like that. You've had more experimentation under your belt than myself. What's been... You know, let's just say that we're looking at an acre max or so, or, I mean, you don't even need that. That's even huge for, for, for a garden. What style has been most effective or efficient or your most favorite? Well, I, I keep going back again to the grow by intensive gardening method, and that can be done either in raised beds or just in the ground. But it's the most comprehensive method. They've documented this so thoroughly, and they've been researching it and you know, measuring yields and water usage and all that stuff for, gosh, 35, 40 years now. And, it, and he's very systematic. He's like, you need this many uh, square feet to produce this much, and you know, th- you're going to need this many for calories and this many for protein and this much for fat, and here's some of the nutrient densities. Is very very thorough, and John Jevons is the um, the he's gosh an elder now, but um, and still very active. But he wrote the book called How to Grow More Vegetables Than You Ever Thought Possible in Less Space Than You Can Imagine. <laughs> Isn't that a great title? But That's it, cool. It's the Bible, and that book, you know, it's really good for beginners. The, the the early chapters show you exactly what to do. But I've seen this book. It's on everybody who's homesteaders prepper, survivalist, almost every organic farmer I've ever been to visit has this book on their bookshelf, and they use it pretty regularly because he has all these tables and charts of yields and space requirements and things that everybody refers back to. I mean, that is the standard. And I would recommend that method. I mean, he really has figured out how to grow the most food in the smallest amount of space sustainably. Like, how do you do that being able to continually regenerate your own fertility and be able to re- be able to work that piece of soil for years and decades and have that land be better when you left it. Right. So is that the same thing I mean comparing to what's considered permaculture is that basically the same thing are they kind of the same type of of method? Well, permaculture is like an umbrella term that covers anything that has to do with producing things sustainably. So It's just like a framework then. Yeah, yeah, it's a framework. And so permaculture has certainly embraced the grow biointensive method and um in and many many permaculturists that's what they're referring to when that's their method of growing. The straw bale gardening is great and it's kind of a, a niche uh, type way of gardening and it's great i think it's i I really have i think and you know whatever really calls to you and that's part of the reason we've been doing these um online summits that i i host them we'll be hosting them twice a year now we're having one up in the fall called the homesteading summit and part of the idea that we have you know like it's a standard summit we have like 35 40 experts presenting on different topics and i i one year we had gardening and i had seven different gardening methods i had john jevons from grow biointensive and joel karsten from straw bale and you know, we had a vertical gardening, and we had aquaponics gardening. We had all these different gardening methods, and then the, the the best, the world's expert in that particular gardening type presented for an hour with either a video or voiceover PowerPoint of about their gardening technique and why it was so good. And it was great. We had this kind of head-to-head, <laughs> you know, and that way I thought it was awesome because 
like I, you know, my husband's an engineer. He loves aquaponics. It involves pumps and filters and machines, and and that's the way he loves to grow food. You know, I'm kind of a wild person. I'm really into wild edibles. I and I like running barefoot and just picking things off the of trees. So, you know, uh, there's so many uh, uh, people that have um, back. You know, elder. I, I I deal with a lot of elder people that you know, raised beds that are raised up to the height of their waist so they can't they don't have to reach over is a great way for them to grow some food, you know. And um having a flock of chickens is awesome. They they six chickens and, and six hens and you're gonna be egg self sufficient. Wow. <laughs> you know? So yeah, there's lots of ways to do it. I like to embrace all of them. But That's the, great. Do, yeah. do you have chickens this year, or do you are you doing ducks? What are you doing in terms of uh, livestock? Well, for for livestock, every year I raise a flock of chickens just to to butcher and eat. So I have healthy meat yeah. in my my freezer, and my family and I do that together as a project. So yes, and this time of year we're just about finished. And we we what we normally do is we start out with a hundred, and um, you know if we end up with seventy, we feel really happy because there's all kinds of predators and accidents and stuff that happens because we're you know, it's there tend to be free range and 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 not as tightly controlled. And I maybe th- those losses are actually pretty typical even for commercial operations. So, but we raise them every year, and it's part of the kids' job is to help feed and and move them around and do the things you need to do to care for them. But and then we all over a couple of weekends we'll all butcher them, and then it's they're in the freezer and available, and we got meat that we know is healthy and safe. And um, for me, the organ meats so important i know that those organ meats are clean and healthy and then i also get to do things with the heads and the feet and make bone broths that have that really thick gelatinous bone broth right so mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know you get the whole chicken right and all the feathers yep. we compost them or the kids make projects out of them or whatever so um we do that every year actually this year we're making um a, a kind of a docudrama out of it which will be a video product that we 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 to help empower other families to start doing this activity because it's it's really you know four months out of the year you're raising these chickens and then it's done and you're eating great chicken all year long. That's neat. Now, in terms of storage, do you pull all of the organs out and then you put those in separate bags and freeze those, or how does that work when you're actually yeah. separating everything? Yeah, you separate it out because you you <laughs> it wouldn't be too good if you froze it all together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That we do that. So you got bags of feet, bags of heads, bags of organs. Bags of feet, yep. That's awesome. Wow. Well, we're out of time for today. I know I've had a lot of fun with you. Tell people about some of your websites, some of your resources where they can keep up with you. I notice you're putting out more YouTube videos, which is great. I am too. It's a it's a fun thing to share video. I think it's a lot more engaging than, than podcast and, and blog post, even though I still like those too as well. I think I'm like you going to be putting more effort into into video production so tell us about all that before you go really all of it's at the grownetwork.com and um you know sign up for uh, we have a library a free library of ebooks and all kinds of resources and if you sign up for that then it'll also get you on our our newsletter three times a week we, we mail out on tuesdays fridays and sundays and it's usually just a ton of really interesting articles related to growing and producing your own food it's not just me there's a a group of about um, 10 other bloggers that are really experienced, you know, homesteaders or, or urban farmers 
that are writing and contributing, and so the content is is always really excellent. And we're looking at doing more with games and um, contests, and just having a lot more fun with it. Points and badges. There's you can get certifications. For example, in the Grow Biointensive Gardening Method, we have a little course you can take and get certified in that. And seed saving. And um, actually, I'm real excited about. I've got a guy who's putting together an ex, a course on an e-course on uh, reading the weather and forecasting the weather. So, um, you know, just if you, it's a the the Grow Network is the online home of a global network of people who are producing their own food and medicine. So, uh, you know, people are always, we're, we're engaged with, just like this, how do you treat your own snake bites? How do you produce your own corn? And it's from all over the place. So we'll have people talking about what works in cold climates or in hot climates or humid climates or dry climates or wherever. So you're bound to find something that works for you. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're healthy and happy, Marjorie. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh my God, Evan, it is so like I just love my body and the things it can do, and I like I'm feeling healthier now than I was as a teenager. I'm 53, and I'm like doing all kinds of crazy stuff and the trampoline and skateboarding, and like I just feel so good, and it really comes down to eating well and and being active. Yep, I agree. Well, thanks for your time. I look forward to catching up with you. If not the later this year, then definitely in the next year for sure. We'll do that. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks. Take care. Okay. As always, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Marjorie Wildcraft. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, for the next week till Friday, September 2nd, I'm going to be offering free shipping on any and all supplements on my website which are professional-grade supplements. Something I've been experimenting with on my own are my GABA Chew formula. It's Pharma GABA instead of regular GABA. It's a little bit more effective, and it's been really helpful as a sleep aid. But I've also just been noticing when I'm faced with high-stress situations, and my example is very high heat, for example. It's been super hot trying to do garden work and things like that. The GABA's been able to keep my nervous system a little bit calm and prevent myself from jumping into that fight or flight. So it's helpful for traffic and when you're in the line at Whole Foods and there's 50 people in front of you, you just pop one out and you chew it and it melts in your mouth and then you're done. It's been excellent. So that's the Gabba Chews I've been trying out myself and really loving it. Anyhow, like I said, till next Friday you can get that free shipping. Not just paleo.com, you click store and you can also schedule that 15-minute free call with myself to discuss your health symptoms, your health goals. Stop suffering, I promise. There is hope. Take good care. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl good night and never leaves her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible rules. Why I'm in the tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't want to see her by her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting, let me be the one that loves you better.